Good morning, Grace Chapel, Wilmington. Great to be here with all of you, and uh, thank you, Tim, for that, like, stunning endorsement. Um, well, uh, this morning is going to be a little bit of a different message. Uh, it's going to be uh, more like a fireside chat than an expository sermon, because we're entering into the season where we're making our way, uh, sort of uh, talking about the vision of Grace Chapel and our church. And every few years, uh, Pastor Brian and the leader, leaders and elders and other pastors sort of spend some time in prayer and discernment, asking God what he has in store for us uh, for the next few years. And, and it's really good because, as Bill Hybels has famously said, uh, vision leaks, right? Like water in a bucket that if you don't keep filling it from time to time, there's a hole down there that it sort of seeps out of. And so every few years, it's great to cast vision once again to remind ourselves of why we're here, uh, what we're doing, and what we sense God calling us to. And so, as I said, this morning I want to speak a little bit more personally than is often the case in a sermon. It's not going to be as much of an expository message uh, as it is me sharing my heart with you. Uh, think of it as, uh, as a fireside chat. Think of it as a, um, maybe a, a, a locker room, room halftime pep talk. Uh, I don't know if any of you have that on your mind. Uh, maybe it's uh, going to be a little longer than an inaugural address, um, but it, it, you won't get wet, uh, okay, because we've got a roof over our heads. So we will make our way to the scriptures, and I hope that the passion you hear in my voice this morning and, uh, and the heart that uh, you understand that I'm able to express uh, is as rousing and immediate as it always is. Uh, but more than anything, I want you to, to know that I am a fellow journeyer with you. I'm on the sojourn with you as a community, as part of the community of faith here in Wilmington. Um, and so, uh, as always, when I'm preaching, uh, I'm preaching to myself as well uh, and believe that God is going to do great things uh, through us this morning. Well, I want to begin for just a few minutes to talk about the particular aspect of the vision that, uh, that pertains most directly to us right here in, at the Wilmington campus. Um, when Brian shared last week uh, about the vision for next and uh, our vision for go, uh, to therefore go, to extend ourselves and each of us find our go, uh, he, he spoke a lot about uh, what's happening uh, right here uh, at the Wilmington campus and our need for expansion. And at those moments in the sermon, I found myself with all of you like at least a little bit cheering, you know, though it might have been quiet. Um, we all know here at Grace, for some time, uh, we have been a growing congregation. Uh, we started our journey together back in 2010 with about 200 and peop 250 people who helped to launch the Wilmington campus and, uh, and, and an investment about, of about $4 million from the congregation to help us get going as the first of now many um, campuses, additional campuses, to the Grace Chapel ministry. And so God led us right here. We started not knowing where we were going, um, where we were going to be worshiping, what building, what people, and uh, the Lord led us to the Casa di Fiore, this, this building right here on the side of uh, Route 93. Um, and for we became then the first sort of missional outpost of Grace Chapel, and we sought together to expand and extend uh, the reach of our church and to be a part of changing the spiritual landscape of the greater Boston area and beyond. 
And so for the last six years, together, we have been fulfilling our call. We have been finding our go as we, as we have cultivated a rich congregational life, as we have found ways to serve and utilize the gifts that God has given to us, as we have reached out to the community, to our neighbors, and uh, as we have engaged them in conversations about faith, and as we have invited them to church as well. So over the past several years, God really has richly blessed us. And uh, it has been remarkable to see this place expand and for us to sort of press the limits of our facility. I've got a graph here that kind of charts where we've been over the last few years. 2011 is the far left, the red, leading up to 2016. Uh, this has been our, these are simply Wilmington worship averages um, by year. And uh, what you'll recognize is in 2013, and then especially in 2015, we started really reaching our capacity. And what happens as a church and as a congregation, as you, as you start, start to reach your, your capacity, or 85% of it, you'll find that people know that we're hitting that ceiling. And uh, twice now, we've, we've bounced back or dropped back a bit because we've just been uh, constrained for space. Um, the fact is, uh, back uh, last fall, we were having several services in the fall, over 600 people. We can fit about 300 seats in this sanctuary, and uh, we were pressing beyond our capacity. Add to the 600 uh, that we would worship with in the two services, add to that uh, another 200 kids uh, from ages newborn through fifth grade that are uh, pressing the limits of our kids' town facility too. Uh, we are just both pressed with space, for space um, as well as brimming with life. And so these are great problems and great challenges. People have often asked me, um, as we've had conversations with folks around Grace Chapel and with, uh, with people that I bump into, who know about the church here in Wilmington, they'll say, what has been the secret to your success for a church uh, to, to be launched and six years later to have 500, uh, 600 people, another 800 if you add up everybody in the building? Um, what has been the, the secret to the success of your church in a region of the country where so often churches are uh, failing to thrive? Uh, what has led Grace Chapel Wilmington to be able to grow uh, in this kind of environment. My first answer to that question is I believe we're part of a great church. I believe that Grace Chapel has been blessed by God and its leaders uh, are uh, outstanding. I think our senior pastor and his preaching and teaching uh, gifts are very strong. I think our core programs are life-giving and I think we have a gifted and energized staff as well. Grace Chapel uh, wide, uh, Tim being an example of, of that. I uh, have to give it back to you a little bit. Uh, yes, you're welcome. <clears throat> Tell everybody I said that, by the way. And, uh, and, but I began thinking, what, what distinctively about our community here uh, has been conducive to growth? And so what I did was I brought together some Grace Chapel, some of the leadership team uh, from Grace Chapel, some of those who were with us early on as we launched, um, and some who have... Uh, sort of contributed greatly to the ministry since we have started. And I, I asked them that very question. What is it distinctively that has made Grace Chapel Wilmington thrive? What do you think has led to the kind of growth that we have experienced? And so everybody put their ideas on. I asked everyone to 
put an idea or three on a post-it note. And then we would take those post-it notes, and in the lobby we put them up on the wall. So the wall was spattered with, uh, with these colorful post-it notes. And then I collected up all those comments, and I fed them uh, online into a Wordle. Have you ever done that? A Wordle basically takes the cumulative words that you put into it, and it spits out an image that shows um, what words are repeated most, and that shows them by size. So this is the Wordle that we came up with as we thought back to what has led to the growth of, of our campus. And there are a few things that, that stand out. Um, the people. People was the, was the number one word. Uh, the atmosphere, the community. And I hear that from folks who make their way to, to the Wilmington campus, that, that when we walk in, we feel like we're embraced. Um, not just by... Not just by the, the people who are here, but, but by the, the space and by the atmosphere that's created. Uh, Kidstown ministry, if you add together children's and Kidstown, and if you ever wander through our Kidstown space, uh, you know that our kids are loved uh, beautifully and that our Kidstown area is staffed well, um, that we've got a rich array and bevy of volunteers that uh, give themselves to relationship building and showing kids that they're loved. Uh, that's another significant part, I believe, of what has continued to cause the growth of our campus. And then, of course, uh, that vertical uh, word there on the far right, location. There is something about 170,000 cars passing by your church every day that lends to, if anyone is thinking about going to church, if God is moving in their life, if they have some displacement or hurt, um, and if they start to think about spiritual things, um, the sign Grace Chapel there on Route 93 and the accessibility of this place um, has certainly been a part of the vibrancy and growth. Well, as a result of all of the growth that's taken place here and a result of all of your contribution to helping to make that happen, the elders uh, have determined to work with us to, uh, to increase our ministry space, uh, to expand this facility. We've always known that we have potential for expansion here at this building. Uh, there's a great ministry principle that was made popular by uh, Henry Blackaby, the author of uh, the, the book Experiencing God. And he has said that the best thing to do if you're seeking to follow the leading of God in your life and in the world is to find out where God is at work and to join him in it. And the elders understood that it's much better to, fuel, uh, to add fuel to a fire than to have to step back and start one all over again. And so, Brian, as Brian mentioned last week, a part of our upcoming two-year vision is to expand our Wilmington campus right here at the current site. So over the past year or so, we have, uh, we have engaged a design firm and a builder, uh, and they have helped us sort of assess our current space needs uh, and usage, and they proposed a conceptual design um, that would that would involve us knocking down everything from basically this wall here over. Yeah, there you are. We are there in the sanctuary. Uh, our building is basically two buildings that are attached to one another. And uh, the large space up to the top right uh, is a large open garage that really can't be refurbished. It really needs to be knocked down. Um, it would also involve the knocking down of our current cove facility, our, our youth space. And to go from there to build a sanctuary that would seat 600 people, um, nearly doubling our capacity, 
Uh, and then this, the space, the blue space to the right, would be our new kids town space that would be additional space uh, that we would capture uh, from uh, opening that facility. So uh, we are, we're at the point where we're beginning to think about what, is it, what would it mean for us not only to, to have the space and to know that and to trust that God would bring people to it, but as a congregation, um, as we think about being the people of God who, whose responsibility it is now to consider doubling the size of our congregation. And so in the same way that I brought together a group of uh, 200 folks in those early days, I'm bringing together a group of close to 500 people today uh, and in these days to begin to consider what will it take for us as a congregation uh, to find our go, to be a group of people who lead this church into, uh, into a next season of significant growth. And so, as I mentioned, uh, we, gathered, we did gather a team of leaders. We asked them that first question, what has led us to this growth? We also asked them a second question. And that second question was, was this. What will it take of us, and I ask you this question too, what will it take of us to, to bring us from here uh, to there? There being a, con a congregation that is nearly doubled. And we did that again. We wrote on a post-it note. Folks uh, brought them forward. And as we began to talk about the various ideas that surfaced, uh, two things in particular bubbled to the surface for us. And the first was just an acknowledgement that we need to be in prayer for what lies ahead. We need to be a prayerful congregation that recognizes uh, this is not a human endeavor. This is a God uh, thing. And the only way that, that churches grow is if the Spirit of God is at work in, in, in and among us. When we launched Wilmington the first time, um, the first point person we identified was a person who would lead us in the area of prayer. Kiston McLaughlin, many of you know Kiston. Kiston and John Mark have since left us and are serving their church up in New Hampshire where they've moved. Uh, but they gathered us around to, to commit us to significant prayer. And uh, in the same way, we have uh, identified a point leader, um, Kristen, Kristen Wenzel, who, another Kiston, Kristen, I don't know what it is, but uh, Kristen is going to be helping us to, to focus our prayer energies towards thinking about um, the things God has for us in the years ahead. Um, the second thing we recognized that was very important as we put all those post-it notes on the walls um, was uh, that there were two themes that were emerging side by side, uh, two important themes that we really believed we needed to embrace and give some energy to. The first was that... Uh, we were a congregation that was needing to think about growing big. Growing big. All this means is that we need to put some energy and, uh, and some of our gifts and, and direction into what it means for us to prepare our congregation to be a church that is twice the size that it is. And of course, what that means is that we need to engage more people who will give of themselves and their talent and their energy to lead, uh, and to serve in a whole variety of ways. It also means that we need to think about how we, how we promote and publicize, how we let our neighbors and our community, the communities around us, know that we're here. Uh, 
um, how we think about outreach, uh, how it is that we believe that God might put on our hearts to, to, to reach into the community, not just assuming that once the building opens up, that people come automatically, but taking some strategic steps uh, towards that. We need to think about how we scale all of our ministries. And so we need to think about how to grow big. But at the same time, we recognized that we needed this strong commitment, as strong a commitment to growing big as a renewed commitment to what, we, what I'm calling growing small. Uh, I don't want us to lose the intimacy and the essential nature of what the church is all about. Um, we want to maintain a commitment to the fundamental building blocks of Christian community. Uh, to the relationships that are authentic and real, uh, to, to being able to express love to one another in a very genuine way that I think represents some of what led us to this place. I, I want this to be a place where every person can know, some, know others and be known by others. I want us to be a people who are committed to helping other, others grow very personally in the way of following Jesus that this is not a program or a building, uh, this, is a, this is a people. We are a community. Then we need to lean back into that. We need Kidstown workers that show even the youngest child that they are valued, that they are loved, that they are cherished by God and by us. Um, we need greeters who will work the lobby, uh, looking around to make sure that there's no one who's standing around feeling alone in the crowd. Um, we need small group leaders who will foster a community within their life communities uh, and people who will invest and give to, to the lives of other people so that when, when any of us go through difficult times or challenging seasons of faith, uh, we've got people walking beside us. And so we need to lean into not just growing big, uh, but growing small as well. So here's my challenge to you and was my challenge to that leadership team uh, that night. Uh, and here we are, this leadership team right here. <clears throat> if you have an interest in any of these things, the three things that I mentioned, the prayer initiative, if you have a heart to be about prayer in the weeks and months ahead, uh, if you have a, a heart for growing big, and if that's your passion, if you think a lot about scale and about making sure that systems are in place uh, if you've got a heart for making sure that we maintain our relational uh, integrity as a community and uh, you've got some ideas around that, either three of these things, um, I just invite you to, to put your name to a sheet that's out in the lobby. Uh, there's a little Wilmington expansion area out there. And maybe you, you have sensed, you're sensing God leading you to one of those three things. Um, we offered that uh, to the team that was there a few weeks ago few nights ago, and uh, it's really fascinating, actually. The grow big, grow small thing, um, I said, uh, raise your hand if you're, you're really more passionate about growing small. People raised their hand and went this way. Raise your hand if you're really passionate about growing big. Other people raised their hand and went this way. Let me just tell you something about your, uh, the, the leaders of this community. It was about two-thirds who were passionate about growing small, which I think represents the heart and soul of this place. Um, it was another third that we're thinking about uh, growing big. And can I say, it was all guys over here. I don't know why that was. <laughs> and a mix of men and women over here. Uh, so we need some women over on this side. If God is putting that on your heart, then uh, put your name to that. 
and uh, leave your name and contact info, and, uh, and we'll be in touch with you about that. So, of course, a vision like this involves a, a renewed commitment for each of us uh, with regards to our contributing to the life of this community and to the vision of ministry. But I would also say that a vision like this obviously involves a renewed, renewed commitment from each one of us uh, with regards to our giving uh, to the church. As I, as I have often said, Grace Chapel has been incredibly generous in helping to fund the launch of the Wilmington campus. $4 million was directed in this direction. And that $4 million doesn't just represent the Lexington campus, it represents many of you who contributed back to the New Day of Grace uh, those uh, seven years ago. Uh, and the initial cost to launch this uh, then vision by our Lexington campus folks were met by this incredible growing faithfulness of, a, of an actual Wilmington congregation that came on board, um, that, uh, that God has led to this place. And so your generosity and your financial stewardship of the resources that God has placed in your care, that you're responsible for, each of you, uh, has allowed us to maintain a vibrancy, um, a solvency in terms of the work that we do and the ministry that we have, and, uh, and great strength um, as a church uh, in, on the financial side of things. And so, but it is every few years that we come together as we cast vision, talk about what God is calling us to, that we also consider what God might be calling us to in regard uh, to the next two years, asking him if there is a new step of, of generosity that we might take uh, as individuals as we make our way along this journey. And a few years ago, we discovered, discovered a simple tool, uh, a simple chart that, uh, that we found and others have found helpful as they think and pray through the important decisions, uh, decision about what it is that they might contribute to the life of the church. Um, and it's called the Generosity Journey uh, Chart. And all of you who received uh, in your uh, mailbox uh, this past week um, our brochure about this next initiative, uh, therefore go, you, you know that it's in there as well. And if you haven't picked up one of those brochures, we've got them in the lobby uh, as well. But I just want to walk you through this generosity journey chart uh, that helps us to consider what we might give. Um, just recognizing that each of us is in a different place along this journey. And as I begin to say this too, and especially if you are a visitor here, uh, we don't spend a lot of time talking about money at Grace. Uh, but the times that we do, we're unapologetic about it because it is a part of our reality and it's a significant part of, of our life and growth as followers of Christ, that he cares about all of our life. Um, but, uh, but we're not requiring anyone to give. There's no, no dues, there's no annual fees and all of that. Um, but we want everyone to, to consider what it means to grow in their stages of giving. So just, uh, just a chart that we'll walk through quickly. Um, the first step in the journey is just new giving. Uh, this is those people who, who might find themselves considering for the very first time in their life uh, making any sort of contribution to the life of a community of faith to a church. And uh, this sim the simple truth is that when you give something to something, uh, you become engaged in that thing. It starts to matter for you. You care about it. You watch to see how that enterprise is doing uh, more carefully, more clearly. Uh, and you feel like you're a part of things. And so <clears throat> for some of you, this might be a chance to cross that threshold for the very first time and to start giving, to be a, a new giver. 
Step two is, uh, is regular giving. And all that means is that you prayerfully consider what it is that you might give on a regular basis, either week to week or month to month, to make the work of uh, our church continue to thrive and grow. Uh, moving beyond that one-time gift or that occasional putting something in the offering plate as it comes by, uh, whatever you might have in your pocket or whatever, whatever it is, to more intentional and regular uh, giving. And, and I would suggest that when you move to this uh, part of the giving journey, you start to see pronouns change when you think about the church. Uh, you start saying, well, your church or that church or Grace Chapel, um, you start moving from that and you start to say, my church our church, this community. And that pronoun shift is really significant. And it's why giving becomes a significant part of your growth and you're knitting yourself into a community. This is my church. You start to say things like that. Step three is, is proportional giving. Uh, this is when you offer your gifts based on a proportion of your income. Um, the biblical norm was, uh, was a tithe. It was 10%. Why 10%? I think 10% was a hearty enough percentage that it was a reminder to the giver uh, that this was a big deal, that this aspect of life was significant, that all that we have is God, God's, and that the first part of our income, that first 10%, uh, was being offered back to him as both a demonstration of our dependence on him and also an expression of our gratitude to him. So 10% feels very significant. Now, the New Testament doesn't specifically command tithing, um, but it does appear that the early church were uh, continued the practice from the Old Testament uh, and uh, set aside 10% and then gave offerings on top of that 10%. But my, recommenda my recommendation to believers who are not tithing is to simply think about working your way towards a tithe. Um, maybe, maybe you start out with 2% or 3%, and each season of consideration you take a step of a greater percentage of your income from last year. Maybe you want to move to 5% or 7%. So maybe your next step of the generosity journey is to become a proportional giving, working your way towards that 10% income. And then step four is called abundant giving. And this is for many around grace who are so grateful for all God has given to them and so burdened for the needs of the world and so recognizing of the important place of the role of the church in our cultural life and in our city and world and homes that they move beyond tithing to what we might call abundant giving. And for some here at, at Grace, that will be your next uh, step to sort of open the storehouse. And uh, we have some folks around here who God has given much and who give much back to the work of this of this church, and we are extremely grateful. The fact is, no matter where you are on this journey, you are a part of things. And no, no matter where you are in your consideration of these next steps, um, you are a part of things. Even if you're not a giver, uh, but you find ways to serve and just be present with us, you are a part of this church and this community, and we're grateful to you for that. You know, two years ago, many of us... Uh, found a way to move from here on that journey uh, to here. Many found that ability simply to take a next step. Um, next, year, next week, Brian's going to report back some of those numbers, but it was a significant number of us that followed God's nudge 
and led us to take a next step of faith. And next week, we're going to have an opportunity to mark our commitments for the next two years. So I encourage you as uh, individuals, as a community, as a family, to intentionally have some of these conversations. And, uh, <clears throat> and just a reminder, the only people who know what anyone gives to grace are those in our financial office. I don't know what anyone gives. Um, I'm fine knowing if you want to have conversations with me about it. Um, but I just don't want you to miss out on the joy of sharing in the grace of giving. And also, as others at Grace Chapel, uh, it's just good for me to be reminded of this, that others at Grace Chapel are going to be sacrificially giving to this endeavor, uh, our Wilmington Campus Build, which is uh, we're raising hopefully $3 million out of the $5 million investment uh, to get started going and building uh, right here locally. And some of the folks who are going to be giving will never step foot on, on this campus and have never been here. But missionally, they know that, uh, that their heart is here. Well, Julie and I have always sought to be tithers. Um, I, I always say we strive to tithe. That kind of has been uh, our journey. Uh, to be completely transparent with you, uh, there have been seasons where that's been a challenge for us. And when we were younger and the income was, was light, uh, but no kids were in, the, uh, in, in, in our world, um, in our family. Uh, you know, tithing was a, a small portion. It was still 10%, but a small number, and it seemed a little easier to do. As we get older, as we've gotten older, and through some challenges in our life, uh, we found ourselves uh, uh, challenged, especially as Julie was, has stepped out of the workplace to, um, to provide care for younger kids uh, that came unexpectedly to our family. Um, but we have always set that goal of 10%, and we move closer to that, and we take steps with all of you every time we uh, come to a moment like this. And so uh, this, this year, we had that conversation once again, and we're talking about increasing our giving by about 15% um, this season for these next two years. And we have college tuitions looming ahead, uh, which many of you know what that's like. They're certainly daunting, but we are trusting God to meet us um, at our point of faithfulness. And we've never found uh, God to let us down in those moments. We do give through our financial institutions, so you'll never see us placing any money in the offering plate, if you wondered. Uh, um, when the plate comes by, we enter into that moment of giving, uh, remembering that uh, transaction uh, happening uh, electronically and thanking God for all that he does in and through uh, this congregation, and being glad that we participate, <coughs> excuse me, with all of you in that. Um, and I always find it ironic that I'm putting some money in the plate to pay my own salary. <laughs> and yeah, it's an odd, odd feeling. But I do want you to know on that note, uh, I recognize, and our staff recognizes, uh, that we, uh, that, that our livelihoods exist because of the generosity of all of you and that we don't sense that we are beholding to you, but we certainly sense a, a great sense of responsibility to the place that God has called us and to the work that he calls us to. So I am humbled by that and grateful. Uh, <clears throat> I want to share one more thing with you this morning that I believe God has put on my heart uh, before we wrap it up here. I've just been thinking a lot about where we're at in our cultural moment uh, in the life of the American church. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Brian started this series, he, he outlined a, a number of challenges that we face as a church. 
um, seeking to make a difference in the 21st century. And uh, the list was daunting. Church attendance in decline. Catholic and mainline Protestant churches closing all around us. The rise of the nuns, uh, younger people who have no religious affiliation. This rising disenchantment with organized religion. Cultural competition for people's time, energy, and money. And the list goes on and on and on. And in reflecting on these things, I, I began thinking about the various generations that make up our community here and where each of us fit into those generations. Uh, I am an Xer, a Gen Xer. Did you know there was a Gen Xer uh, generation? The truth is uh, we often get overlooked uh, in the conversations about millennials and boomers, but uh, we find ourselves in that sort of shallow spot, uh, the green area there, born between like 68 and, I don't know, 1980 or so. <clears throat> and ahead of us, ahead of me, are the boomers, those idealistic post-war babies who uh, grew up uh, reacting against many of the societal norms of their parents. And uh, some of you are boomers, these 70 children who were hippies turned yuppies and eventually sort of settling into positions of influence and power in, uh, in some of the institutions that make up and define our society. Um, men and women who have made deep contributions to and found great benefit from the stabilizing uh, institutions of church, family, business, government, and so forth. Um, and then behind me are the, uh, it's Gen Y there, the blue are the new echo boomers, they call them too, the millennial generation. Again, it's a generation of idealists as well, but many who feel that the institutions that they have inherited um, established by generations before them have failed to live up to their purpose and they find themselves disconnected from them. Um, and also a generation whose affiliations shift pretty quickly, a mobile generation, a facile uh, in their social connections and uh, with digital media and digital uh, uh, connections find themselves shifting pretty rapidly in one tri from one tribe to another. Uh, and a lot of attention, as I said, is given to both, and here I am, a, a Gen Xer, um, maybe, as I said, with many of you sitting in that shallow area between these two generational booms. Um, the Xers, we entered the world uh, with a great deal of skepticism about institutions as well. Um, it was right after Watergate and during the rise of later the X-Files, remember? The truth is out there. Just don't trust anyone who tells you anything. You've got to find it yourself. Be wary of big government, big business, big religion. Um, discover it yourself. And so in, in, in this sea of generations, generational skepticism, what of the institution of the church? How does the church maintain its strength in the world that lies ahead? Are we doomed for certain? Is it inevitable? Are, are we propping up a, a fading cultural dinosaur? My answer to that is that I would say, yes, we are doomed if. We are doomed if this thing we call the church becomes nothing more than a cold and lifeless institution. We're doomed if we believe that the church is a building or a program or a place rather than a people. We are doomed if our understanding of the church becomes something separate from the relationships that we form together, 
something that finds its energy apart from, from the living spirit of God at work in and among us. We are doomed if it becomes a thing that is disconnected from our hearts and our lives. And if we find our, our vertical relationship with God as something that we give no attention to or little attention to, the one who can empower and revive and bring life to the church. But here's my great hope. My great hope is this. I don't believe that God ever intended the church to be an institution that exists apart from any of these things, apart from real people outside of real community. Because from the very inception of the church, it was always intended to be personal, always intended to, to involve relationships, always built around a genuine, heartfelt belief in the person and the work of Jesus and in the power of God unleashed among people. I find it telling that the first mention of the church in the New Testament comes from Jesus' lips. And it happens as he's with his followers and he's poking around to them, trying to discern their understanding of who he is and what he's about. And it's found in uh, Matthew chapter 16. Scripture says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Jesus replied and said, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah. Simon the reed for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So, <clears throat> notice that Jesus turns to a real person and asks a personal question. Who do you say that I am? And note that it's Peter's heartfelt confession. I believe that you are Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That his understanding of Jesus' role in the world becomes the foundation of the church. It's not Peter that becomes the foundation of the church. It's his proclamation. And a proclamation that is shared by those who call themselves followers of God. Believers in Christ, the Messiah. And so corporately, we lend not only our personal confessions, but our corporate life to this bold idea that the Messiah, Jesus, is the son of the living God. And that he has come into the world to offer salvation and hope. And remember the word church that he uses here is not a building or a place. It is ecclesia. It is a called out gathering or community. It's a redeemed community. It's people that are the church. As we collectively learn to fashion our lives around the person and the teaching of Christ and as we understand him as the expression of God with skin on. And we truly believe that he helps us to understand what it means to live in this life, to be loved by God, to turn our love towards other people. Now it can sound like hyperbole, but Jesus said the gates of hell can't stand against that. 
And it sounds like hyperbole, but it's simply the working out of the gospel in the lives of each one of us. So the gates of hell are held at bay when friends gather in small groups in somebody's living room. And together they share their lives and they share the scriptures. And they ground themselves in the grounding truths of, of God's goodness and his truth and his love and the beauty of the world that he's created. And the work of the enemy gets thwarted when, as a community, we strive with God's help to overcome cultural and ethnic barriers together. Recognizing that, that God created all of us with great diversity and distinctiveness. The fractured humanity gets knit back together. And it happens when, when my daughters and my son can look around and see reflected in all of your faces uh, the great rich tapestry of color and accent and hue that makes the kingdom beautiful. And when prejudice and racism gets overturned in a, by a proper understanding of God's amazing creativity as we live together and mentor each other across our differences. And the gates of hell get toppled. I saw it when I spoke with a man last Sunday, a man who's battled his own demons and found strength at a place like Celebrate Recovery uh, to, to face his own addictions. And suddenly he discovers that his daughter and his uh, son-in-law are going through marital crisis at the same time that she's pregnant with twins. And he readies himself and steals himself uh, to receive those twins into his own home and his daughter as well. And, uh, and he looks around to our community of faith to find help and support during that time. And he readies himself to be the man that God's calling him to be, to care for the, and love these new, newborns that are an assignment from on high. And he told me he's been leaning in to another brother who he calls his spiritual Sherpa, helping him to climb this mountain that lies ahead. The gates of hell withstood. As together we find purpose and meaning and relationship and joy and love and fulfillment and yes, even life eternal, the gates of hell, cannot conquer. Don't stand a chance against an ecclesia, a gathering, a community of people committed to that sort of thing. So I believe the church really is the hope of the world. And I believe it's worth leaning into and strengthening. Not simply by dollars and buildings, but by what we create together as a body of Christ. So let's recommit ourselves to being that kind of people, that kind of church. I wanted to close simply by having someone share with us their own personal journey to grace and uh, the beginning of their own spiritual search as well, their journey. So will you welcome with me Christine Canaveri, who's going to come up and talk to us about her life experience. You could have warned me that you were going to uh, have all of that before I came up here. Um, well, good morning. My name's Christine, and um, you might recall a few weeks back, more than a few weeks actually, there was um, a story on the big screen told by Angela um, about a couple of kids who began attending Grace Chapel because they wanted to know why um, their neighborhood friends weren't around to play with them outside on Sunday mornings. Um, so those kids attended a bring your friend to church day 
uh, with their neighborhood friends and began their journey of faith. And that's also the story of how I came to Grace Chapel because those are my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined them that day and went to the services here in the sanctuary. Um, but for me, just a couple years prior to that, I probably would not have likely agreed to come. And I'm not even sure that I would have let my kids go, in all honesty. Um, My husband, Casey, and I, we both grew up in traditional Catholic families, um, him in New York and myself here in New England. And we both received our, you know, the traditional First Communion and confirmation through our childhood. And after completing this stage of our lives, Casey and I had similar experiences where we both decided not to go to church anymore. Um, While it was through the good intentions of our parents, as he and I grew up and became parents together, uh, we decided that we would do things differently. And we didn't know what method we would employ to introduce our kids to a religious education, um, and the truth is we weren't really concerned about it either. Um, But personally, I've always been a true believer that everything happens for a reason and that we're exactly where we are meant to be at any given moment in our journey through life. And in this particular case here, um, that was living next door to a family called the Sullivans. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, yesterday, or Friday, um, realized that our families have actually been living next door to each other for um, way, way longer than uh, we've known Steve and Krista. I grew up in the house that we live in now, and um, so did Steve's mom. Um, She grew up in the house that they live in now. And... Um, As we were finally ready to bless each other's lives, God introduced us, of course, through our children. And um, as we got to know them and realized that they were (laughs) churchgoers, I was also very aware of their normalcy. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, But it was this normalcy that actually opened my mind, and it softened my heart and my opinions about what it meant to be religious. And... You know, they enjoy cornhole and music and movies and cocktails like we do. And our kids spend countless hours in the woods with Nerf guns together. And all of us have flaws. You know, we're normal, all of us. And so from the time we met, if you fast forward about six months, um, which was about a month prior to the first time that we came here to Grace, I had been at a training course that happened to be um, in a beautiful Christian church in North Carolina. And for the first time in my life, I entered a church where my senses weren't completely overwhelmed in every way, and my soul seemed to be quieted by being in that place. And the the training had nothing to do with religion. It just happened to be um, the venue. But it left me wanting more of that feeling. And it also helped me make that decision to be open to coming here for the first time. So since that first visit to Grace, which was Palm Sunday last year, I've been back here many a Sunday, and every week I look forward to the message. Um, And it feels every week as if Pastor Brian is speaking, and today Pastor Tom especially, with that message. Um, It feels like those messages are for me because they're just so incredibly relative to real life, to my life. And it makes me truly believe that I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. And... So I've I've made a lot of friends here, and um, I'm just continually blown away by that normalcy. I mean, I go running with Angela and have drinks on New Year's Eve with with all kinds of amazing people. And it makes me realize that people just like me come to Grace Chapel. And 
So I found that my thirst for knowledge of the Bible has increased and my desire to speak to a higher power through prayer has surfaced. And for the first time in my life, when I feel lonely, I'm no longer alone. So having a place like this in my life and my kids' life has truly blessed us. And so I thank you for this opportunity for sharing that. And I thank all of you for welcoming me and my kids here. Thank you, Christine. You can write it down there. Okay, if I don't let you go now, we're going to have problems in the parking lot. So stand with me, will you please? And uh, receive the benediction. May the grace of God our Father and the goodness of the Holy Spirit at work among us and the love of Jesus Christ who offered himself sacrificially on our behalf. May the Father, Son, and Spirit truly be at work in and among us as we build his church, lived out in us. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.